Well, good morning. It's great to see you. Glad that you are here with us, whether you're in the building or you are online. It's great to be here. Great to be worshiping Jesus Christ. Great to be giving praise to God our Father. Great to be doing it together, whether you're, again, at home or in the building. We are excited that you are gathering with us. Now, as we journey into John chapter 10, I want to ask you something. I want to ask you if you've ever fallen victim to false advertising. False advertising, like maybe you, you saw this product online. Uh, you, you saw this commercial and it was so convincing. It was so persuasive. And you thought to yourself, this product, this item is going to change my life. I need to get it here now. Is it on Prime? I need two-day delivery. Give me the drone. Give it to me within the hour, right? You see something and you're just convinced. This is it. This is going to change my life. Everything is going to be better once I get this item, once I get this product, once I have this thing in my life. So you buy it. You put it on the credit card because you don't have money. But it's so important. It's going to change your life. Just put it on the MasterCard, put it on the Visa, or, or put it on the America Express, whatever. You buy the product, it's delivered to your door, you open it up like a five-year-old on Christmas morning, you're so excited, you assemble it, and then there's that moment when you're staring at it and you're thinking, oh no, <laughs> Buyer's remorse. Like immediately you realize you've been misled. And you get that just sinking feeling, that kind of disgusting feeling that you were hoping for something, looking forward to something, but then the product before you just under-delivered. Have you ever fallen victim to false advertising? Embarrassingly, I totally have. By 2001, 2001, I was convinced, convinced that there was a product out there that would change my life. My friends and I, we were convinced, convinced. We saw these commercials, we saw this advertisement, and we were convinced this product was going to change our lives. We needed this in our life. So we saved up our money. We went to that incredibly reputable store in the mall called As Seen on TV. Right? You know it. You've been there before. <laughs> so we went there, we, we, we went there, and we grabbed the item off the shelf, and we, we put it before the register, we paid the money, and we had the Abtronic. The Abtronic. I wish this story wasn't true, but it's true. We had the Abtronic. They said it was the future of fitness. Look, you already know. I wish I would have known you in 2001. You already know where the story's going to end. Right? They said this product right here would allow you to work out your abs while you watch TV. It's perfect. Ten minutes on the Abtronic was equivalent to 600 sit-ups, they said. Perfect. You know what we got? We got this small little device connected to a belt that shocked us with electricity and left red marks on our stomachs. Right? Not cool. Shouldn't have listened to the advertisement, shouldn't have listened to the infomercial, shouldn't have listened to my friends, but I did. And I fell victim to false advertising. Now here's the bummer. This happens spiritually. There are spiritual salesmen out there who have got, have got a product, something to sell you, to convince you that if you follow what they say, you'll be right with God. You'll be good with God. You'll find lasting joy. You'll find satisfaction. You'll find finally all the answers that give you a good bearing for this life. They'll give you a, a, a true north, a north star, a way to find direction, purpose, value, esteem, worth, meaning, to make sense of everything. And it's much more dangerous to be misled spiritually than it is by an infomercial for an abtron. I lost a couple of bucks, learned a valuable lesson. But it's much more dangerous to be spiritually misled. And this is what Jesus is going to teach us in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, what Jesus is going to do, he's, he's going to contrast himself with the religious leaders of the day. And he is going to say, I am the one. I am the one you should listen to. I am the voice you should listen to. I can grant you life, meaning, purpose, value, worth. 
I can answer all of life's big questions. I can give you a true north. I can make a north star for you. You can have direction, purpose, meaning, stability in your life as you travel through the storms of life. But Jesus says, now these guys over here, they're going to try to sell you something to give you religion, to give you a, a right relationship with God, to give you spiritual satisfaction, to give you lasting joy, to give you an anchor for life's storm. But what they're doing is they're selling you something that will only under-deliver. Jesus is going to say we need to be careful of them. Jesus will be very honest. You could say borderline rude, but right. Jesus is going to call those religious teachers thieves seeking to profit off of people, whereas Jesus is seeking to do what? Serve people. Let me show you this. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We're going to start with verse 1. John chapter 10, verse 1. And here's what I want to do. I want to kind of summarize the main idea, I think, of Jesus' teaching here as he's contrasting himself with the religious Leaders, and here's what I think we're gonna we're gonna find. So if you're only gonna write down one thing, I want you to write this down. And I, I do hope you do take notes on your phone or maybe on a pad of paper, or if you want to, I've seen this too. People writing in the margins of your Bible, that's fine. Maybe you got one of those wide margin Bibles or the journey uh, journaling Bibles. Good for you. I'm not a fan of writing in my Bible. That's just a personal preference of mine. I, I don't know why, but it just is. But if that's you, great. But either way. Would love for you to take notes. If you're only going to write down one thing, I want you to write down this big idea. The big idea for this morning is this. Listening leads to life. Listening leads to life. We're all listening. We're all using our ears. We all want to hear. We're all waiting for the voice, not the show, but the voice to give us meaning, to give us value, to give us purpose, to make sense of it all. When we need something to give us a bearings on everything, if you almost think of life like a puzzle, it's all these scattered little jagged pieces, and we don't know how to put them all together. We want the box top. The box top of the puzzle gives you the full picture, and then it allows you to take all the pieces and put them in the right place. And if you stare at the box top long enough, you'll know, hey, even if there's some gaps, I know there's a picture. Right? We need, we need bearings, if you will, to give us stability. And we're all listening for that voice, wanting to hear that voice. We listen to politicians. We listen to gurus. We listen to uh, self-help people. We listen to therapists. We listen to preachers. We listen to ourselves. And what I think Jesus will make very clear is all of those people that we listen to, on their own, they won't give us life. We must listen to the voice of Jesus. Let me show you this. John chapter 10, starting with verse 1. Again, Jesus is going to do this kind of contrast, and we're going to see this. We're going to kind of read a little bit, and we're going to see this contrast between Jesus and the religious leaders. The one who can give life, the one we should listen to, and those who can't give life, that will under-deliver on their promises. John chapter 10, starting with verse 1, says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief. That man is a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought them out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, we got to get a little bit of context here, because I don't know about you, but I'm not a shepherd by profession. Well, I guess you could argue I kind of am a shepherd by profession, spiritually, right? But now, physically, I'm not a shepherd. I don't know what to do with animals, okay? My, my, my father-in-law, he's got animals, and I don't know what to do with those animals. One time, my job was just to care for the chickens, and let me tell you, me and the chickens, we got beef or poultry, whatever you want to call it, right? We got conflict. They don't, they don't like me, I don't like them, and my dog doesn't like them. Well, actually, my dog likes them too much, right? My dog thinks they're fast food, and my dog's pretty fast. 
right? But I'm not very good when it comes to animals. So maybe, maybe for you as well, you, you, we need a little background here to understand what's going on. So Jesus gives this example here, and, and we kind of got to throw ourselves in the first century world for a moment. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture a village, a village made up of several different homes, several different families. And what would happen is these homes would have kind of a courtyard, a side yard, a backyard. We're familiar with that. And in this backyard, you're going to have some animals. You're going to have some animals because you need product from that animal. You need food from that animal, right, or clothing from that animal. So each home would kind of have these courtyards, backyards, pens, if you want to call them that where animals would be, but, but, uh, but a family wouldn't own a lot of sheep. They'd own a few sheep, maybe two, three, something like that. So each home wouldn't have a shepherd by itself. There'd kind of be a town shepherd. That's what Jesus is describing here. Jesus is describing this town shepherd who goes about the town and, and goes to each home. And it says here, the gatekeeper lets the shepherd in. Who's the gatekeeper? This is just the homeowner, the person who actually owns the sheep. But the shepherd of the town, probably a son of one of the families of the village, will come to each home. And the doorkeeper will see that shepherd and say, oh, I know you. Yeah, Johnny, come on over here. And he'll call the sheep. And he'll take the sheep in the morning and he'll remove them from the courtyard and he'll take them out into the open country. And they'll graze there. So he's going kind of door to door. And what is Jesus describing here? Jesus is describing kind of two characters, a true shepherd and a thief, a stranger, or a robber, as he'll say later. And Jesus, again, describing the false teachers, the religious elite of his day, the ones he's been interacting with in John chapter 9, and he's going to say, they are thieves, they are robbers. Now, look in verse 1. It says, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, why does he climb in from another way? We'll go back to that imagery that we have of the kind of the village, the, the town. You have a home. You have this kind of side courtyard. You've got a few sheep there, but you can't tend to your sheep. You've got other things to do. You're a carpenter. So the town shepherd comes, and you see him, and you say, okay, I'll open the gate for you. See, but there's protection there, because you're acting kind of like a, a bouncer, if you will. If somebody tries to come and take your sheep, you see him, you're like, whoa, buddy, you're not the shepherd. You're not the town shepherd. I don't know who you are. The only way somebody who's not the shepherd can get to the sheep is he has to climb over, and that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, these thieves, these robbers, the only way to get in, they can't go to the doorkeeper because the doorkeeper knows who the true shepherd is. Now, it's hard to say, who is this doorkeeper? Right? In this analogy that Jesus is telling, this story that Jesus is telling, who is the doorkeeper? Does that stand for somebody in reality? Now, when you read passages of scriptures like this, when you read parables or stories or analogies, you don't want to find in every single detail some connection to reality. You don't want to do that. Sometimes details are just there to make the story work. And there's no, like, widespread agreement as to who this doorkeeper is. But I just want to give you my opinion. Because I think it really gels with what we've learned so far in the Gospel of John. Who is the doorkeeper? I think the doorkeeper is God the Father. Because if Jesus is the true shepherd... The doorkeeper does what? I know who is here to shepherd these sheep. And I will give that shepherd access to the sheep. Who validates the ministry of Jesus Christ? Over and over again, we've seen in the Gospel of John, as Jesus is debating the religious leaders, what does he tell them? I can give you witness. And who's his first witness every time he goes to this debate, every time he tries to justify his ministry? What does he say? God the Father bears witness to me. He has given me works to do. I work miracles. Why? Because the Father's will is upon me. I'm doing the work that he has told me to do. In fact, I don't do any work apart from his will. Over and over again in John's gospel, who validates the ministry of Jesus? God the Father does. And how does God the Father look at the ministry of these religious leaders or thieves or robbers? 
He doesn't validate. He says, no, 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 I know you. You can't get into my sheep. I won't let you take them. These thieves and these robbers are not known by the gatekeeper. These religious elite who claim they know the Father don't know the Father. That's what Jesus has been saying in all the chapters we've gone through so far. The gatekeeper does not know these religious teachers, and neither does the sheep. I jump to verse 5. We see this. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. This is incredible to see, and I know most of us have not seen the, the interaction between sheep and shepherds, but you can find this online. You can find videos of this. And sometimes in, in, the, in the Near East, uh, tourists will kind of uh, take an adventure out into the country, and they'll, they'll see shepherds perform this kind of humorous task. What the shepherd will do, he'll take kind of the tourists and he'll say, here, here's my clothes. Put on my clothes. So they'll put on a cloak or, you know, a coat or something like that, maybe put on a hat. And so from a, a sheep who probably doesn't have the best eyes, it looks like this tourist is the shepherd. And then the shepherd will teach this tourist his song or his call. Very simple call, not a complex call. It's not a, a song with many verses or many bars or harmonies and parts and all that stuff. No, it's a simple call. So he'll, he'll teach it to the stranger or teach it to the, the tourist. And there's videos of this online, and it's really remarkable because here's what you find, is that tourists will look like the shepherd, will sound like the shepherd, but when they give that call, it freaks the sheep out because they know the nuances of the shepherd's call, and they'll run away. They'll flee. They'll say, no, 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 no. We don't know this voice. We don't know this voice. This is our experience, too, spiritually. We hear people selling us ideas. We hear people claiming they could give us truth, give us hope, give us something to live for, give us true north, give us a compass. And there are times that they're more convincing than not, more persuasive than not. But I think you and I both have shared the experience where you hear that voice call and you say, it's close, but no. I know you look like the shepherd, Maybe you smell like the shepherd. You've got a similar song that my shepherd has, but there's something in the nuances of your voice that something is not right. And Jesus says, no, he is the true shepherd, known by the gatekeeper, and when he calls, his sheep follow. Jump back to verse 2. Look at Jesus describe himself in this kind of analogy, in this kind of parable, in this kind of story that he's giving. Jesus is the true shepherd, known by the gatekeeper. Look at verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. This one's known by the village. This is when God the Father says, yes, you have access to my sheep, to my people. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Think of what we just covered in John chapter 9. Think of the man who was born blind. Did he have all the answers? No, we saw this. Sometimes his answers were honestly a little humiliating. We'd want them to be a little more precise, a little more correct. He wasn't theologically uh, correct at all times. But when he heard Jesus, what did he do? He followed. He heard the voices of the religious leaders as they accused Jesus of being a sinner. And he said, no, 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 I, I don't know your voice. I'm sorry. That does not sound right. But the moment this man, in his kind of exploration, comes and meets Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm the son of man. I'm the one that was promised in the Old Testament. I'm the one who will give you the kingdom of God. I'm the one who will rule and reign as God's king over his creation. I am the Messiah. I am the hero that you've been waiting for. I am the redeemer, the savior of the world, the grantor of eternal life, the one who has authority to execute judgment. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. Of This is what son of man means. When Jesus finally makes it clear to the blind man, here is who I am, what does he do? He worships. He knows the voice of of the shepherd, and he followed. The religious leaders, he paid them respect, I would say, but he knew there was something wrong in their voice. He wasn't buying their abtronic. 
He wasn't buying their, 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 their spiritual product. He said, nope, I know who I'm listening for, and you are not his voice. And look at how Jesus calls his sheep. I love these details that Jesus includes here. It just shows how different he is than the religious leaders. Go, go back. Again, we're in verse 3. Go back to verse 3, about middle, middle through verse 3. I want to highlight some of these things. Verse 3 says, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name. By name? I can't remember the name of my kids. You know? And I only have four of them. Right? I call my kids the dog name. I call the dog the kid's name. I always call my wife her name. Always. Perfect. I get that one right every time because I want to survive. Right? But the kids' names, I always get messed up. And look at what Jesus is saying here. I call my sheep by name. On Donner, on Blinson, on Comet, on Cupid. That's all I got. I don't remember the rest. Four is my limit. That's why I only have four kids. If we got another one, he's just going to be question marked. Right? That's what he's going to be. The other one, right? Something like that. This is what Jesus said. I know my sheep as individuals. I love them. I care for them. I am, there, there's an intimacy that I know them by name. They are mine, and I call them by name. And look at how he treats his sheep. He says, I call them by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow. Don't miss this detail. Right? In the Western world, what we know of shepherds, we think of like driving the sheep, like driving cattle. We think of like a sheepdog moving the sheep along. But that's not how the shepherds operate in the East, even today and definitely in the ancient Near East. No, I don't push, I don't drive the sheep. What does it say? I lead them. I go before them. I call to them. If you've ever heard a shepherd, it sounds like a song. I sing to my sheep, and they know my voice, and I lead them out. What is this talking about? This is the kindness of the shepherd. There's intimacy that the shepherd has. I know you by name, but I'm not here to drive you, to push you, or prod you. I'm here to lead you, to go before you. I'm kind to you. What a wonderful shepherd. This is the voice we should listen to. Look at verse 4. It says, When he has brought them out on his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They're certain of it. They know exactly who he is. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you had this moment. Maybe you remember this moment. Maybe in singing that song that Greg so wonderfully picked, Father's arms are open wide. Jesus is calling. Maybe you remember going to church years on years. I know this was my experience. My grandparents were followers of Jesus Christ, would take me to church, heard tons of sermons, sang tons of songs, but I didn't love Jesus, I didn't love God, and I only grew actually to hate God. And I would go and I would hear the preacher, I would hear the pastor, I would hear the song leader, I would hear my grandparents. I remember hearing my grandpa sing in that deep, baritone, manly voice, that six-foot-five, burly-chested man. You're wondering, were you adopted? I, I honestly ask myself that a lot, right? But I remember him feeling the songs, understanding the truth of it. And I heard his voice, the preacher's voice, the song leader's voice, but it took a long time until Jesus was heard by me. Until his voice came through. And I remember the exact moment when he called. And it was undeniable. Undeniable. I didn't need more convincing, more proof, more evidence. I needed Jesus to call my name. Jesus loves this imagery. He, he loves this language. He loves this idea of hearing, of calling. Let me show you right before Jesus dies. In John chapter 18, verse 37, listen to this. As Jesus is, is on this mock trial that is happening, where Pontius Pilate is, is basically being pressured by the religious elite, the, 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 the Jewish teachers, being pressured politically 
to, to execute this Jesus. And Jesus has a conversation with Pilate, a very insightful conversation. And look what he says in verse 37 of ver- chapter 18. Jesus says this to Pilate in verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, so are you a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Listen to this. To bear witness to the truth. I'm the one that gives you the box top. I'm the one that makes sense of all the pieces of life. I'm the one who gives you true north. I'm the north star. I'm the one that gives you bearings. I'm the one you could set your compass to. I'm the absolute of all absolutes. That is the foundation of reality. That all of the world doesn't work right without me at the center. If you, if you can imagine finding a book, a book in your attic. And in your attic you see a book, but it's cut in half. It's cut in half, ripped in half. So you only have half of the book. You have the binding and maybe two inches of the pages. Imagine trying to make sense of this story, make sense of this novel. You, you couldn't do it, correct? Because you're missing half the book. It's cut in half. You maybe get some of the names, some of the characters, some of the actions, some of the verbs, but you're going to miss a lot because half of your pages are gone. Jesus is saying, I'm the other half. In me is truth. In me, reality makes sense. Life makes sense. Relationship makes sense. Worth, meaning, value, purpose, esteem, all of it makes sense when you put the two books together. You get some of God's truth in just looking at nature, but you don't get all of God's truth until you bow a knee to Jesus. You hear his voice, then it comes together, and it all makes sense. This is what Jesus is saying. You hear my voice, and you follow me. You say, that's it. That's what I've been missing. That's what makes sense of all these scattered and broken and jagged pieces of my life. Now I see how they all come together. Jesus says, I am a witness to the truth. Now listen to this line right here by Jesus. So incredibly important, and I would say so incredibly comforting. Look at this line Jesus says to Pilate. We're in verse 37, halfway through on chapter 18 of the Gospel of John. It says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I came into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Listen to this line right here. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Oh, that's comforting. If you're looking for truth, you're looking for that box top, you're looking for the other half of the novel, if you really desire to know what makes sense of all reality, that gives you vision, that gives you a perfect understanding of all the stuff in life, if that is your true hunger and desire, friend, it will be satisfied. It'll be satisfied in Jesus Christ. All the other voices won't make sense. All the other voices won't satisfy. All the other voices will just underdeliver. They'll overpromise and they'll underdeliver. They may sound convincing, persuasive. You may be let on. You may go to the as seen on TV store spiritually, buy the product that you think is going to change your life. But you'll realize that all your hopes and dreams in that product will go unfulfilled, unsatisfied. Jesus says, listen to my voice. Now, why listen to my voice? What was the big idea? Listen, listening leads to life. This is where Jesus really unpacks the danger of not listening to the right voice. He's going to say, if you listen to me, you'll get life. If you listen to these guys, you won't just lose a couple bucks. You'll die. Listening to the wrong voice spiritually will be disastrous. Our spiritual discernment is so incredibly important because the outcome can be absolutely dangerous to us. Look at how Jesus unfolds this in the rest of his passage. Let's read verse 6, and then Jesus is going to come back to that story and analogy of the sheep. In verse 6 it says this, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. Now, I got to be honest, this is just the part of the passage. I just laughed. I I don't know if that's your response when you read the scripture sometimes, but I just, I got to laugh at this one. What is Jesus saying? He's just said, if you're my sheep, if you seek after truth, you'll understand. You'll hear my voice. You'll get it. If you're my sheep, you really desire truth, you'll get it. You'll hear my voice. 
and, and, and you'll respond. You'll come running after me. And what does the next verse say? These guys didn't get it. What does that tell you? You're not his sheep. You don't really seek after truth. It, it, they're now, in a sense, found out. Your attentions are laid bare. Your motivations are now clear. You don't really desire truth. You desire power. This is why Jesus calls them thieves and robbers. What do you want to do with the sheep? You don't want to lead them anywhere. You want to profit off them. Manipulate them for your purposes. Jesus, in a very scathing remark, in Matthew chapter 23, will tell the religious leaders, oh, Stern rebuke, he'll tell them, you will travel overseas. You will go so far to make a proselyte, a follower. But then you know what happens to that poor follower? It says you make him twice the son of hell. Every false teacher, every false shepherd will be found out in the end. To have underdelivered on what they've promised. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You don't get it. You're not my sheep. You don't seek after truth. And what you give to the sheep is so incredibly dangerous. Look again at verse 7. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now the analogy has changed a little bit. Jesus was the shepherd. Now it says he's the door. But let's keep reading, and I'll give you the background of this, and I think it'll, it'll make sense a little bit more why Jesus is kind of switching his analogies here. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep don't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. What does Jesus say here? Let me tell you about the thieves. Let me tell you about the robbers. Let me tell you about those who are there to profit off the sheep alone. What are they actually going to do? They are going to kill. They are going to destroy. Think about this just for a moment. In my opinion, this is, is so sobering. And, and, I, and if I'm honest, I, it makes me want to break out in song. No, you don't want that. You're like, you will not hear the shepherd's voice. At that point, like, no, I'm running away. He may dress like he knows how to sing. A song may come out of his mouth, but we know that's not his voice. <laughs> but on a serious note, I get really nervous, especially in this passage right here. I get really nervous. Look at how deceptive, just how the turn just happens. How Jesus doesn't just call them robbers. I mean, that's pretty bad. He doesn't just call them sheep, saying, I'm going to profit off you. What does he tell the sheep? Be careful. Why? Because these guys are going to kill you. They're going to take their life, take your life. They're going to destroy you. They're not just going to manipulate you. They're not just going to leave you wanting. They're not going to just make your wallets empty. They are going to destroy you. There are so many promises made out of so many promises made out right now. Right now. But you can go back in, in human history. It's the false gospel of human solidarity. If we all just come together and are unified, we will find dignity. We will find life. We will find hope. We will value one another. We will appreciate our diversity. We'll change our systems to work fairly. And it sounds good. All those things we would say, yeah, I checked the box on that. Let, let's embrace our diversity. Let's embrace our, 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 our kind of mosaic of the people that we are. Let's embrace our cultures. Let's embrace the nations. Let's treat each other equally. Let's create systems that are fair and not unjust. Yes, I check all those boxes. But it's the abtronic. It sounds good, but it's not. And why? It's the false gospel of human solidarity that if we just come together, we can fix our problems. Oh, we've heard that before, haven't we? We've heard unity that would lead to prosperity. We've heard it in the great leaders of bloodshed in the 20th century. Hitler, Mao, Lenin. We've heard them all. And yet for some reason, as humanity, we just keep repeating that record over and over again. What happens when we all come together with one purpose in mind and believe in the 
gospel of human solidarity that will fix it if we all just come together. You know what happens? We build the Tower of Babel. That was a lot of unity, wasn't it? Talk about alignment. We're going to build one building. And then we, they didn't argue about the carpet, chairs, how many floors. No, everybody seemed to be pretty unified. This is working good. No. It's sad that we have not learned that our humanistic hope only leads to the destruction of humanity. The very thing we thought we could protect is the very thing that we leave in danger. Over and over again, humanity has been disappointed by the false promises of political leaders and advocates who cannot, cannot promise, or can promise but cannot deliver. A man will only look at man with great value when he sees man as an image bearer of God. But the moment you take out the image of God is the moment you lose the integrity of mankind. The moment we sever the vertical is the moment we lose the horizontal. We can't have it. It won't work. We might get some things right. But think of it now. If we write some systems that make things a little bit better... But yet those same systems celebrate, echo, applaud the destruction of human life at such a rapid pace that outpaces the Nazis, that outpaces communist China, that outpaces anything that we have seen. Millions upon millions of life, whether it's they're, they're brown or white or whatever, and at their most vulnerable times. Think about it. As humanity, we have more gender reveal parties. We know that in Northern California. Why? Because one of them burned one of our forests down. Right? But think about that. Think about the logic of that. We're celebrating a gender. What does a gender imply? A person. And yet as we plot and we celebrate and the blue confetti goes or the pink confetti goes, right? At the same time, we applaud the right of taking that life at a destructive pace. We are sold a bill of goods that will never be fulfilled. Why? Because we don't see the image of God on that life. We don't see it that every time I strike against you, every time I look at you less, every time I say that you're something of, of, of a not worth, every time I say you don't deserve the same advantages that I have, every time I do that, what am I doing? I'm striking against God. But if there's no God, then why not strike against me? Why not let the strong survive? Why not let the weak perish? Why not let the vulnerable just go away? They're wasting our resources. This is what happens. It's how dangerous it is. Dangerous it is when we believe and buy in to spiritual misinformation, false advertising. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But what does the shepherd provide? Look at Jesus here. Now, this is, this, this, the analogy has changed a little bit. First, we had kind of the open village where the shepherd would come, and he would take the sheep from each of the homes. Now, in this story, it's a little different. Now, we're in the open country. The, the sheep are grazing. That's what they're doing now. And Jesus says now that he's the door, why does he change? No, Jesus is still the shepherd, and he's the door at the same time. But in the first century world, this would make sense to them. They're, they're acquainted with what shepherds would do. What shepherds would do, especially in the summer months, is they would take all the sheep from the towns, again, or the villages, because they're the town shepherd. They would call. The gatekeeper would let them in. They would lead them out of the village into the open country. And there would be these kind of temporary structures. And in the summer months, they'd let them graze in the morning. They'd bring them into the shade, into these kind of temporary structures. And then they would lead them out at night, and then they would go back into these temporary structures. And they would stay out in the open country during the summer months. And there was only one opening into the pen, into where the sheep were. And in order to protect the sheep, you know what the shepherd would do? He would lay at the door. So what is the shepherd? He's the door. And what does Jesus say? I'll protect you. No one's coming into this pen because I'm laying at the door. Look at how Jesus describes it. 
says, all become, who come before me are thieves and robbers. Jesus is speaking of the religious leaders in specifically here. But the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. In verse 10, Jesus says, I will give them life and they will have it abundantly. What is Jesus describing here? Well, Jesus kind of breaks the analogy a little bit. He introduces a term for us in verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Now, that's a rare term for John. He uses it only a handful of times in his gospel, but it's a very meaningful term. Let me show you one passage just to, to, to show you this. In John chapter 3, verse 16, probably the most famous passage in all of Scripture, where John uses this term, but we understand this term in light of this passage. What is Jesus saying? What are the sheep saved from? Look at John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What does it mean to be saved? Well, he just said it means we don't perish and we're not condemned. What is he saying here? This is what you're saved from. You're saved from these negative experiences. You will not be condemned by God. You will not perish. But Jesus doesn't just eliminate the negative. What else does he do? Man, he gives us a, he saves us to something. He gives us a very positive experience. What is that? Not only will you not perish, not only will you not be condemned, but what does he say will happen? You will be granted, what? Eternal life. So there is protection that the shepherd offers, but there's also provision. Listening to him leads to life. Jesus kind of goes back to the analogy in verse 9. Look, look at verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, not condemned, not perishing, having eternal life. But then he goes back to the analogy of the sheep. What do these sheep do? They go in and out to find pasture. What is he describing? They come into the pen. They're in the open country and they're grazing. But they come in and Jesus lays at the door and Jesus protects. He protects. No one can harm his sheep spiritually. No one gets in. Nobody. There is eternal protection. You will not strike my sheep, touch my sheep, because I lay at the door. And nobody gets in if I don't let them in. But then he says, what? They go out. They go out. I stand up from the doorway and I lead them out into open country and they graze. What is this? This is provision. He gives us eternal life. Eternal life is a biblical idea that means a life that starts now but goes on forever. A life we get now and one that is not interrupted by death. A life that passes through death. Not just to death, but through death. Death does not intrude the stream of our eternal life. In fact, we would say it just enhances it. It just grants us a further step into the enjoyment of that positive experience that we have eternal life. This is what Jesus is saying here. Listening to him leads to life. Now, what does that mean for us this week? This week. As followers of Jesus Christ, we, we want to be persuasive, right? We want to be convincing. As, as we talk about Jesus with our friends and family members, oh, oh, we want them to know the hope that we have. We know that they're listening. We know that their ears have not yet been satisfied. They haven't found lasting joy. They haven't found meaning, purpose in life, anything to anchor through the emotional turmoil of this life. And I know for myself, I have thought so deeply, so heavily, so strategically, thinking I need the right moment, the right words, the right way to be persuasive. I need the right moment. If I just had the right words in the right moment, then they'd start following Jesus. Have you ever done that to yourself, just trying to think strategically about it? I hate to admit this, but this is true. I already admitted that I bought the Abtronic in 2001, so I'm fine with humiliating myself one more time. You know, but as a pastor, I know all these things. I, I know these truths. And it's funny that I know the most important voice in the room when I'm talking to my friends and family members is not my voice. It's his voice. I know that. 
And yet it's incredibly silly that I don't invite him into those conversations. Because if he doesn't talk, if he doesn't speak, if he doesn't call, if his voice is not in the room, then my words fall to the floor right when they leave my mouth. And they don't penetrate the heart. No matter how educated they are, no matter how sophisticated they are, persuasive they are, no matter how rhythmic they are, alliterated they are, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if my oratory skills are being flexed. It doesn't matter. They need to hear the voice of who? The shepherd. They need to hear the voice of Jesus. And what I've learned is this. For my many friends and family members who are not yet following Jesus, those who I've had conversations with, meetings with, coffee with, cried with, went through funerals over, prayed with at the bedside, when they were incredibly ill, I've learned this very simple truth. I need to talk to God about my friends before I talk to my friends about God. I need his voice. And I truly believe this year that God is doing something in the lives of your friends and your family members. I think this may be the year that that uncle you've been praying for, that aunt you've been praying for, that son, that daughter, that friend or family member, that co-worker, I think this may be the year they finally hear Jesus' voice calling. So what I want to invite you to do is talk to God about your friends before you talk to your friends about God. And we are taking on this big challenge in a big way, and Pastor Matt and his team have developed a fabulous resource, a fabulous resource to accomplish this. And we've made it so easy for you to do this. Not because we think you don't have the stamina or the strength to do it. No, we just want to make it easy. We just want to make it easy for you. Because we believe it's so important, we want to make it easy for you. So you don't even have to pick up a booklet. We mailed it to you. It's right there. You may wonder, well, when I'm praying, what verses should I pray? We got you covered. We've, we've, we've selected verses for every single day. Well, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to pray. I'm still getting used to that. No problem. We have a sample prayer with blanks in it where you could put the name of your one person that you're praying for for 30 straight days. You could just place it right in there. This could be the year that your friend, your family member, comes to know Jesus Christ. So let's start this journey with God into this new season, asking him, would you call? Would you call? Now maybe you're here, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're watching, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. I know you've been listening. I know your ears are perked. I know you've been searching for that voice to give you meaning, to give you value to give you purpose, to give you an anchor, to be your North Star, to be the box top that makes sense of all the pieces of life. I know that you have been listening and you haven't heard it yet. And I wonder if you have thought, is there something wrong? Is there something wrong with me? Because I haven't found contentment and lasting joy. Is there something wrong? My answer to that question very kindly is yes. There is something wrong. There's a reason why you haven't found it. See, God has a design for our life, every area of our life. And we follow God's design, we flourish, we experience abundant life, like Jesus said. But sadly, the story of Scripture and the story of ourselves is that we have fallen away from that design. We've moved away from God's design. We've moved away from human flourishing. We've moved away from the abundant life. And the Bible has a word for that. It's called sin. And sin separates us from God, and all of us have done it. All of us are guilty. Welcome to Valley Bible Church. We're full of guilty people. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says when we move away from God's design, we experience brokenness. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. And death is a big term in the Bible that doesn't just mean your heart stops beating, your brain stops working, your lungs stop filling. No, it means you are separated from the life giver, the creator. You're separated from God. And we live in a state of brokenness. We feel it everywhere. In our relationships, 
in our finances, in our intimacy with our spouse, our relationship with our kids, the emptiness and not finding lasting joy. We feel it. We feel that brokenness, and we try to move out of it. And there are a thousand, maybe a million voices calling you out of that brokenness, telling you how to get out of it. And guess what? None of them will work. They'll create greater bondage, greater brokenness, greater death. They'll sound good. The commercial will look nice. You'll be persuaded by the spiritual six-pack you see, but they can't deliver. But praise God, Jesus Christ calls you in that brokenness and says, by my death and resurrection, there's forgiveness of sin, and you can be restored back to living under God's design for you, experience life. Friend, I hope you hear the voice of Jesus today. That you call out to him. You call out to him and say, save me. Protect me from death, from condemnation, from perishing, and bring me to the experience of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the love that you shower upon us. We know that you are our true shepherd. When you call, we follow. And you are so kind to us. You know us by name. You never forget our name. You know us by name, and you lead us. You do not drive us. You do not prod us or push us. But you are kind to us. You are tender to us. You call out, Paul, follow me. Follow me and experience an abundant life. And I remember the moment I heard your voice for the first time. What a wonderful day. And Father, I am assured, assured by the words of Jesus, that those who are of truth will listen to your voice. Everybody, whether they're in the building or they're online, if they're seeking after truth, they will hear your voice and they will follow. And Father, I pray that you be with us during the week. As we kick this off on March 1st and really just have a concentrated time on praying for one friend or family member who's far away from you, oh, Father, would you hear our prayers? Because we know our voice is not compelling enough, not convincing enough, cannot move them enough, cannot elicit the right emotion enough. We cannot rally their soul, rally their spirit. We cannot awaken them from spiritual darkness. We cannot remove the blinders on their life. But when you speak, you create worlds. When you speak, the tomb gives up its dead. When you speak, we come to life. So, Father, I'm not asking for another opportunity to speak. I'm asking that you would speak for my words, for our lives, and that you would bring them to eternal life. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.